Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. We spend a great deal of time on this podcast exploring various aspects of the Seminole Wars. And rightly so. That's why we call it the Seminole Wars Podcast. In this episode, however, we're going to spend some time exploring how to find some of the places that we have discussed. Joining us today to help us is historian John Missile. John, as you may recall, was our inaugural guest to kick off the Seminole Wars Podcast. He and his wife, Mary Lou, hit the road a few years back driving to identify where all the sites, markers, and monuments are that identify where all the battle skirmishes and roads are that feature so prominently in our discussions. The result of their odyssey is the Florida Seminole Wars Heritage Trail Guide. They compiled, edited, and contributed articles to it, and solicited complimentary articles from Seminole Wars scholars as well. The Seminole Wars Foundation, which produces this podcast, packaged it, and the state of Florida published it. John Missile, welcome back to the Seminole Wars. Glad to be back. John, when you write, no matter where you travel in Florida, the legacy of the Seminole Indian Wars is never far away. What do you mean by that? These places extend from Pensacola at the far western end of the state all the way down to Key West. During the almost half century that encompasses the Seminole War period, very few portions of the peninsula were untouched by the conflict. The First Seminole War was fought largely in the Panhandle, Second War primarily in Central Florida, and the Third War in the Big Cypress and Everglades in the far south. Why were these wars significant, not just for Florida, but for the nation as a whole? There were some significant firsts during these wars. It was the first time the United States was able to expand its borders by invading foreign territory. And don't forget, when all this started, this was Spanish Florida. It was the first extended guerrilla war the United States had to deal with. And at one point, it was the first time that a Native American nation actually forced the United States to sue for peace. These were the longest of all the Indian Wars, the most expensive, and one of the most deadly. So one can find these type of things along with the areas that you cover inside this guide. How long has it been in print? It came out in the fall of 2015. The trail guide is for residents and visitors alike, basically anyone who wants to know more about the Seminole Wars and visit places associated with the conflict. The trail guide contains more than 150 entries. It contains 56 pages, numerous illustrations, is printed in full color on heavy 8.5 by 11 paper, and is distributed free of charge by the state of Florida. This is a state publication, so the legislature would have to provide funding for a new edition. In truth, there are only a couple of minor corrections and a few historical markers that would need to be added, but that would mean rearranging the entire work to fit them in where they belong, which would take quite a bit of effort. Who came up with the idea for a trail guide? Well, the state has about a dozen heritage trail guides covering all the major conflicts in Florida, including Civil War and World War II, and just about every ethnic group and nationality who ever had much of a presence in Florida, including even the French. What's its distribution, and how do people benefit from it? The last time I checked, which was maybe about a year ago, 
the state had printed almost 50,000 of them. As I mentioned, they're free for the asking, and you can get them from the Division of Historical Resources of the Florida Department of State. You can go on their website and read it there, or download a PDF version, or if you send them an email, they'll mail you one. They're also handed out at places like welcome centers, parks, and museums that have some association with the war. Besides containing a lot of good history, they can be used for planning something like a weekend getaway or some other sort of trip. Say you want to go to St. Augustine area. Look at all the different trail guides and see what's in that vicinity, not just Seminole Wars, but anything historical. And you can build your trip around that. What did it take to produce this guide? A lot of driving, for one thing. <laughs> I think Mary and I drove about 5,000 miles throughout the state researching these sites. Nearly every entry had to be verified. In it, they bury the footings of these roadside markers and cement, but some of them still managed to get up and walk away. <laughs> We're also surprised at the number of museum staff that didn't know what was in their own museum. I remember walking into one, introducing ourselves and telling the director why we were there, and then being told they had nothing on the Seminole Wars. Well, seeing we were already there, we took a walk around the museum and found a really excellent display on the Seminole Wars. By the time we were done, I think we'd driven through all but five of the state's 67 counties. How long did it take? Well, the contract with the state ran from July 1st of 2014 and was for one year. Unfortunately, we didn't get to sign contracts from Tallahassee until the end of October, so we really couldn't start any serious work until about November 1st. The first draft was due at the end of January, so nearly all the driving and writing was done in about three months. Who contributed to it? Well, Mary and I did the main body of the book and the descriptions of the site, but where we needed a lot of help was on the numerous sidebars that examined certain events or people in detail. For that, we asked for help from our fellow members of the Seminole Wars Foundation, who contributed quite a bit to the finished product. Among them are Chris Kimball, Harry Pickering, Joe Kness, Jim Cusick, Gary Ellis, Jerry Morris, Patsy West, Richard Prosick, and the late Frank Laumer. In addition, artist Jackson Walker contributed many of the paintings featured in the guide. I also have to give credit to Gary Ellis of the Gulf Archaeology Research Institute for helping out with the grant application. The foundation found out about the grant only about two weeks before the submission deadline. Anyone who's ever had to fill out one of these applications will know how much work it is and how precise you have to be. Thanks to Gary, we were able to overnight the application to the state on the day before the deadline. When you're doing something like this, you don't know what you don't know. How did you find out where some of these sites and markers were? As for which sites to include, we put a request to the foundation members to help us make up a list, which filled in quite a few. After all, no one knows the Seminole Wars like the members of the Seminole Wars Foundation. Uh, there are several online sources for locating historical markers, but none of them were complete, so we had to combine entries from all of them. Uh, there are also lists of museums within the states and other places of interest. The officials we dealt with were mostly staffed at various county and city museums. Uh, we also wanted to make this a balanced work, so we included articles from tribal member Pedro Osceola's data and the Atatiki Museum Director, Dr. Paul Backow. You produce this book under the auspices of the Seminole Wars Foundation, and this podcast operates under their auspices as well. What is the Seminole War Foundation, and what does it do? We're an organization dedicated to the 
preservation of Seminole War sites, and we work to educate the public about this important series of tragic conflicts. Our members come from a wide range of backgrounds, from academic historians to reenactors to people who are just interested in this fascinating part of Florida history. Your listeners can learn more by going to our website, SeminoleWars.us. While you were preparing this, did you rely on other foundations or societies such as state or county historical societies? Mostly like museums and stuff like that, county museums. They would have things where we could look up like where markers were or the local history. Other organizations, you know, like the Day Battlefield Society at the Day Battlefield Park. They were helpful. A lot of those people were already members, so we had contacted them that way. How did you organize the guide, and why did you organize it the way you did? Well, it's organized the way it is because they said, make it look like all the other trail guides. And in truth, it's probably the most logical layout. It starts out with a short history of the entire Seminole Wars period, including a timeline. As I mentioned earlier, there are numerous sidebars throughout the book highlighting important persons or events in greater detail. And the book is extensively illustrated and has several campaign maps at the back. The sites are organized by region and county with locator maps at the center of the book. All right. Well, so let's examine each region. What's important to know about the Northwest region, and what does that include territorially? Okay, the Northwest region covers the Panhandle, uh, basically from the border with Alabama east uh, almost the Swanee River, and includes Pensacola and Tallahassee. Very often, when I hear someone say they'll be in Pensacola, I'll ask if they're going to the Naval Aviation Museum, which is one of the big tourist destinations in the area. If they are, I tell them to go right across the street from the museum and visit Fort Barrancas, which was a Spanish post captured by Andrew Jackson during the First Seminole War. Opposite Barrancas, across the entrance to Pensacola Bay, is Fort Pickens, a Second Seminole War era fort. If you're in Tallahassee, there's the Museum of Florida History, the old Capitol Museum, and out front of that is a monument to John Parkhill, the last officer killed in the Seminole War. As we move further east, we have the Northeast region. Okay, that region extends from just west of the Swanee River out to the east coast and includes the cities of Jacksonville, Gainesville, and St. Augustine. Of course, a lot of people visit St. Augustine, and they stop in to see the Casteo de San Marcos, which in Seminole War times was known as Fort Marion. It was here that many Seminole prisoners were kept before being shipped to Oklahoma. If you're in St. Augustine, I suggest walking south of town along the waterfront, where you'll find St. Francis Barracks, which was often the Army's headquarters during the Second Seminole War. It's still in use by the military today, being headquarters for the Florida National Guard. Adjacent to the barracks is a very special place, the St. Augustine National Military Cemetery. At the south end of this small cemetery are three stone pyramids and an obelisk commemorating the Second Seminole War. Buried under those pyramids are the remains of hundreds of soldiers who died during the Second Seminole War. East Central Region. This covers the eastern half of the state from about Flagler Beach to south of Cape Canaveral and includes Daytona and Orlando. In this area, there are a number of ruined sugar plantations you can visit destroyed during the Second Seminole War. Before the war, sugar was Florida's largest industry. 
Within a few months of the war's commencement, the Seminole had wiped out virtually every sugar plantation in the peninsula. These ruins are a haunting reminder of just how devastating these wars were. Also, about halfway between Orlando and the coast is Fort Christmas, a reconstructed Seminole War Fort and Museum, along with a Pioneer Park. And we'll go west, west central region. This covers the area between Ocala and Tampa, and much of the fighting in the Second Seminole War took place in this region. In Ocala is Fort King, which is a newly reconstructed fort that was instrumental in Seminole War's history. North of Tampa, we have another reconstructed fort, Fort Foster, at the Hillsborough River State Park. And probably the most well-known site in the entire book is the Day Battlefield State Park, where the Seminole defeated and virtually wiped out a column of 108 soldiers marching between Tampa and Ocala at the beginning of the Second Seminole War. There's also Fort Cooper State Park, and in Tampa there's the Tampa Bay History Center, which has an excellent exhibit on the Seminole War. Southeast region. This region covers all the way from Fort Pierce down through Key West, it includes Miami and Fort Lauderdale, two cities along with Fort Pierce that began life as Seminole War military installations. Because all the massive development in the region, not many sites remain, but there are a few gems you know where to look, which of course is why the trail guide exists. In downtown Miami, you can find one of the original barracks buildings from Fort Dallas in a small park along the Miami River. At Treetops Park, west of Fort Lauderdale, you can view a statue dedicated to Abiyaka, better known as Sam Jones, one of the most important leaders of the entire Seminole War period, and you can learn how he used this area of high ground to hide out from the Army. One of the most important sites is the Loxahatchee Battlefield Park, west of Jupiter, where two very important battles were fought in early 1838. There's also the Okeechobee Battlefield Park in the town of Okeechobee. Because it's only recently been acquired by the state, there isn't much there, but it's the location of the war's fiercest battle and we're happy it's been preserved. And you can go to the Seminole Tribe Reservation to see their museum and uh, other items that they have of interest. Right. That's in the southwest region, which covers the western half of the state, from south of Tampa Bay down to the Everglades, includes Sarasota, Bradenton area, Fort Myers, Naples. A number of small sites in the area from the Third Seminole War, and the trail guide is very useful in finding them because it's kind of well hidden. If you really want to understand the Seminole War, then the Seminole people, place to visit is the tribe's Atatiki Museum at the Big Cypress Reservation, which is midway between Naples and Fort Lauderdale off I-75. It's a first-class facility and deserves to be visited if you're in the South Florida area. Taken as a whole, what's your favorite Seminole War Heritage Site in Florida and why? It has to be the day battlefield. Some of it's simply sentimental. We've been attending the annual reenactment there for about 20 years, uh, where we set up a table for the foundation. It's usually the first event of the season, so we get to visit with a lot of old friends we haven't seen in months. Uh, more than that, however, is the fact that it's sacred ground. You can walk along the very path where those 108 soldiers were killed when they were ambushed, and you can stand within the little wooden defensive works they threw together in desperation where most of them died. You know, some battlefield, be revolutionary or civil war, the ground has been altered so much that you never really know where the action took place. Or maybe the entire battlefield is so large it's hard to take it all in. Not a day. You're on the exact spot where it all happened. Sometimes at these parks, you're a narrator. What are some of the parks that you narrate at? I narrated at a reenactment at Okeechobee and also at Payne's Creek 
State Park, which is south of Bowling Green. I also give a talk at the state battlefield that they're reenacting in January and at Loxahatchee. What are the benefit of these reenactments that go on in the early part of the year? They actually start now in December. A couple more have come up. There's one in the Panhandle at the town of Chattahoochee for the Scott Massacre of 1817. Fort King, which like I said, was just has just been reconstructed in the past couple of years. They're now holding reenactments the first weekend of December. First weekend of January, of course, is the date battle reenactment. Then you have the Loxahatchee, Fort Cooper, Fort Foster. They all have reenactments. That's the Payne Creek. Uh, there's a number of them throughout the state, and we, of course, encourage people to come out. It's one of the best ways to learn about the wars. What's the most unusual site you visited on your 5,000-mile odyssey? <laughs> Well, it wasn't so much an unusual site as it was the location of it. It's this historical marker for Fort Payton, which was outside St. Augustine. And it's a recently erected marker, but instead of being out by a main road where you would expect a roadside marker to be, it's buried in the woods behind a suburban subdivision. I mean, we had to give very precise directions how to find it, you know, saying how many tenths of a mile to drive, what streets to turn on. And finally ending up with something like park in the alley behind the second house and walk so many yards down a poorly maintained path. And there you find this beautiful marker. So I'm wondering if there's a marker for where there was the ambush and they took the costumes from an acting troupe. There was a troupe of actors. Later in the war, up near the St. Augustine area, they'd landed at Piccolata, which was a port on the St. John's River. And there was a road that went in from Piccolata into St. Augustine, where they were going to perform. Everybody thought it was safe in that area. And about halfway to St. Augustine, they found out it wasn't very safe. Most of them were killed. Seminole weren't too thrilled with what they found. They thought maybe they were getting ammunition, powder, food, or something like that. All he wound up with was cop. Is it true what they said about Wildcat, that when he came into Parlay, he was dressed as Hamlet? He was probably wearing some of the costumes. I mean, how would he know which ones were Hamlet? <laughs> you know, which ones actually went together? You know, maybe he was wearing um, Hamlet's pants and Ophelia's top. <laughs> Who knows? They wouldn't have known. <laughs> no, the fact that he came in holding a skull and saying something about Yorick. No, I don't, I don't think that happened. No, that didn't happen. Well, I wanted to bring up at least one uh, very unusual site, and that seems to be quite unusual, the event that happened. And then there's a marker you can go by to see where this took place. Uh, a little bit west of I-75, fairly easy to find. The Daughters of the American Revolution marker for the Noonan's Raid outside Mikanopi is very hard to find, even though that there's a historical yeah. marker near the trail. Describe that or the marker by the trail. Side marker, they're usually on a road that passes by. And the odd part was there was already a stone marker there. So now we got two markers for the same thing. And it also is helpful to have an area to pull over to read it. I remember one, there was a long side road, there was absolutely no place to park. I mean, you know, it was a busy highway. And they finally moved it, but at the time, first time I looked at it, it was like, how's anyone going to read this? They get run over. What's the saddest heritage site that you visited? I don't want to say it's the saddest, but the most solemn has to be that little national cemetery of St. Francis Barracks, St. Augustine. You know, the hundreds of bodies buried beneath those three pyramids were gathered from post cemeteries throughout the peninsula and were brought there as a memorial for all those who died in the war. There are many more soldiers whose bodies were not brought there or whose exact burial place is unknown. 
died on the battlefield. Also, in the cemetery are the gravestones for people you recognize studying the war, and more than a few that just say, unknown, Seminole War. Why is it important for the state to preserve these sites, or to mark where they took place? Underneath all the buildings, pavement, and all agricultural land that has been built in the past 200 years are the past communities, Indian and white, that people were willing to die to protect. Most of Florida's major cities started out as Seminole War fortifications. Many of our lakes and rivers bear names given them during the war as the army trudged its way through unexplored territory. Hundreds of people on both sides died fighting for this land, and they should not be forgotten. They made Florida what it is today. What is your feeling about movements to tear down monuments or markers for historical events? It depends on what the marker is. Now, rarely, you know, in Florida do they have that problem. Do have a few Civil War, but as far as the Seminole Wars go, it hasn't really been a problem. The Seminole tribe itself likes these the war commemorated. They want people to understand what they went through. If we were to move too many symbols of the war, they'd be forgotten. I don't think they want that. While there may be markers to soldiers, generals throughout the state, we could use more of the Seminoles or the Black Seminoles at key places so that we get a fuller perspective of things. There's one at the town of Chakachati, which is one of the earliest Seminole settlements. There's also, not too far from a battlefield, is a marker for the town of Polikakaha, which was the settlement of Abraham, who was the Black Seminole leader. And then down north of the Everglades, not too far from the Seminole Museum, is a marker for Abiyaki, who was you know, better known as Sam Jones, their most important leader as far as the Florida Seminole was concerned. So there, there have been. Also, we're aware of the fact that the history can be very one-sided. We do every year a little parade in St. Augustine to commemorate those three pyramids and the procession that brought all those remains into St. Augustine. One of the things we do to help try and keep things balanced is recognize the fact that not only are we honoring the Army dead, but we're also honoring the Seminoles that they were fighting against. If you go to any of the reenactments, yes, these are military installations, you know, there's forts or battlefields, so you can't get away from them being military, but they're always presented by both sides. We acknowledge the fact that there are two sides to every conflict. So while this in St. Augustine recognizes the soldiers specifically, is there time taken to talk about all the war dead? Yeah, there are Seminoles who come, Seminole reenactors who come to and march in the parade. Everybody today realizes that it wasn't just the army doing the fighting. The Seminoles don't want these wars to be forgotten. If you take away any markers that commemorate the war, but you're taking away their history too. We try to bring them in and mention them as much as we can because it's their history as much as it is ours. This sounds like an important partnership that may not be there at other parts of the country, but one that other sections of the country could learn from. Uh, definitely. You know, we try to work historians, reenactors, all are working towards the same thing, to remember the people on both sides who dedicated their lives to preserving what was important to them. So you don't see great animosity at uh, events? Oh, no, definitely not. We're all commemorating a history that I think all of us wish hadn't happened, and that's why it needs to be remembered, so that we can say, okay, these were mistakes that were made in the past, let's not do it again. This seems in sharp contrast to the 
War of the Rebellion, or was it the war between the states, where people are still taking it very personally? We do take it personally in the fact that we're dedicated to remembering this, but it's more important to remember the fact that these were tragic events that should never have happened, and to build from that, not to live in the past and want to fight it all over again, but to make things better. This is an important part of Florida history, one of the most important parts of Florida history. And you don't want it forgotten. Yeah, I'm an Army veteran, and I don't feel the temptation to try to defend the Army from every action that it took in the Seminole War. I do try to understand why they took the actions. People are always looking for villains. And for the most part, what I've learned from studying these wars is that there are very few villains in it. It's unfortunate that there had to be a conflict like this. People didn't try to understand each other. You know, they're just people doing sometimes what they felt they had to do, especially soldiers. They're duty-bound. They've been given their orders. They may not like it, but that's their orders. You've got to do it. If you're someone listening to this podcast, wanting to visit Florida and visit these sites, and might be concerned about the animosities that you see at some, say, Civil War events, you won't see that here. You'll see people who recognize the parts that people played, that it's a long time ago, and if they still have some heritage in it, they're not really wrapped up in defending what ancestors did. Especially among, like, the reenactor community. Those who portray the Indians, those who portray the soldiers, they're all good friends. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to load their muster with real bullets or bring out a real tomahawk. Clearly, the Seminole will be defending what their ancestors did because they were trying to stay in their homeland. But there may be particular incidents that they're not exactly so proud of. Every side's got incidents they'd rather not talk about. And so don't talk about it much. Both sides committed atrocities. They're people. No saints in this, and very few sinners. They're just people doing what they think is best. John Missile, thanks again for joining us for the Seminole Wars. Okay. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep this show going. Visit our website at www.summonawars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted, the Seminole Wars Podcast 2020, all rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden, Roast em, provided by kind permission of Rudy Onman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman, all rights reserved.